I'm Wilson King, and this is ADD History. This is the story of how the universe, our solar system, and eventually Earth as we know it came into existence. As far as we know. We're going to breeze through practically infinite time in this series of episodes, with the primary goal of setting the stage for a species of primate living on the third rock from the sun. It's a crazy amount of information, which I abridge to get something like a story out of it. Past his prologue, which becomes all too clear when studying history, that everything happens in the context of what happened before that. Therefore, the beginning of the universe is really the only time to truly start the history of anything. Part 1 So, whether it was the creation of an intelligent consciousness, the beginning of a simulation, or the random chance of the universe, what exists that we can measure seems to have dramatically popped into existence about 14 billion years ago. These first 10 billion years or so are nowhere for a history podcast to get bogged down in, but the broad strokes of what human science thinks happened are as follows. Supposedly, in the beginning, there was an explosion. I don't know if it was actually a beginning or some other beginning's end, but it's something of a miracle whether one is looking at it from a scientific or spiritual perspective, as this expansion of the universe happens outside the rules of physics that we understand, in theory. Space itself expands faster than the speed of light in an instant, and what follows is absolute cosmic chaos. I haven't found myself writing that in the present tense, which almost makes sense given that the whole event didn't really happen in time, as we think of it. There were insane temperatures, matter and antimatter coming into existence, contacting each other, exploding more, and eventually the antimatter was all cancelled out by the larger amount of normal matter, so to put it simply, what was left was a very hot cloud. This theory is somewhat impossible to prove, and is based on suppositions that are based on circumstantial evidence. Scientists seem to mention the concept with a fair degree of confidence, so I won't sit around poking holes in it. How exactly the universe started and why quickly becomes a somewhat useless question for most people, because it obviously did begin at some point, and maybe it has always existed in some way. To quote a book that many scientists would prefer was less popular, the heavens were created, and it was good. The cloud cooled as the universe continued to expand, and atoms formed. These atoms, mostly hydrogen, started to gravitationally attract into tighter clouds, eventually igniting into stars. These stars did their thing, which is fusion, and after a couple billion years, they made a bunch of new elements. All giant explosions do eventually end, and what brings a star's element-creating days to an end is a buildup of iron, because stars have a lot of trouble fusing iron. It is well worth looking up how stars fuse together atoms, by the way, if you're too bored or worried about a grade to absorb anything on that day of history class. I do mean chemistry class, by the way. But everything is everything. It's really interesting, but I'm here to bastardize history, not chemistry or astrophysics. So, with iron building up at their cores, they eventually explode in a variety of ways. When they do, they often create new clouds of atoms, some of which aren't hydrogen or helium, and that's what everything is made of. So, if you find yourself talking to some hippie who says, we're all made of stardust, man, that's what he's referencing. And to his credit, it is a really interesting point to ponder. Anyway, now that I've wildly oversimplified the first 10 billion years of the universe, we can introduce two of the main characters of the story, the sun and the third rock from it, our lovely little Earth. 
Once, around 4.6 billion years ago, there was an interstellar molecular cloud, that part of which collapsed into a star surrounded by a disk of matter that didn't quite make it to the fusion party at the middle. As things in space tend to go, there was a lot of chaos for a very long time, but eventually the clumps of dust separated into their various densities. The heavier matter was closer to the new star, and the remaining gases that didn't make it to the sun in time were loitering around somewhere in the solar neighborhood. So, about 100 million years after the sun ignited into a fusion reaction, the dust around it formed into planets. The really dense stuff formed into Mercury. Less dense was Venus, then Earth, then Mars, and possibly another rocky planet where the asteroid belt is. If it was once a planet, it broke apart for some reason. Maybe a collision with something else that was big, hard, and moving very, very fast. A very ancient and disputed story from Sumeria somehow references 12 planets in our solar system, including the Sun, Moon, and Pluto. Yeah, that would only be 11 planets. They said there was another mysterious planet on a crazy elliptical orbit, called Nibiru, that disappeared into the dark of deep space for thousands of years at a time. This story says that a planet between Mars and Jupiter they called Tiamat, named after the chaos god who gave birth to the world. Tiamat was hit by Nibiru's moon, which broke the planet apart and one large chunk took a new orbit and became Earth. Curiously, the Sumerian culture who had that story numbered the planets from the outside in. Yeah, it's, they also, a lot of people think it's about aliens, but, you know, well, we'll get there when we get there. That is all a really strange story, and I'm not asserting it as fact so much as a strange curiosity. Skeptics say it's all a mistranslation by a nutjob, but if that's an accurate translation of the story, it leaves us with more questions than answers. That and other weird stories will be partially covered in a later episode. There's a lot of debate over what happened to create the ring of rocks between Mars and Jupiter that I'm only partially aware of, but thankfully all that matter doesn't matter much to humanity. Yet. Past the asteroid belt is all the goth and stoner gases that decided to chill way out in the dark away from all those poser gases fusing in the sun. All the stuff that is not a star in our solar system, like planets, asteroids, and elephants, are a fraction of a percent of the mass of the solar system. In other words, Jupiter is incomprehensibly large, and the sun is exponentially larger. These last three planets, and Pluto, for the fans out there, don't really pertain much to our narrative either, aside from the fact that Jupiter kindly captures the vast majority of planet-killing asteroids from deep space with its huge mass. These demon space rocks would otherwise constantly bombard Earth into a lifeless wasteland all the time. Even still, plenty get through, as will be partially detailed later, and it's never a good time. Without Jupiter, life probably never would have gotten a foothold on Earth, so we all owe that beautiful bubble of hydrogen our lives. Thank you, Jupiter. Part 2 Anyway, now that we've gotten all that out of the way, we can focus on the only place that we actually know anything has ever really happened on. Earth. Curiously, Earth is estimated to have balled up from the dust about 4.5 billion years ago, 100 million years after the sun ignited. Personally, it seems to me like it should have taken longer, since I've been reading about the disturbingly long timescales of space, but I suppose 100 million years is enough time for a bunch of space dust to become a planet. Regardless, that first billion years of actual planethood were a rough time for Earth, likely getting bombarded constantly with asteroids up until 3.8 billion years ago, likely establishing a magnetic field around 3.5 billion years ago. The magnetosphere is important, firstly because it prevents our atmosphere from being stripped off the planet like old paint by the solar wind, and secondly because it allows life to exist on Earth's surface without our DNA constantly being torn to pieces by radiation. In other words, 
That's why you can go outside in the summer and get a tan instead of full, instant body cancer. Well, unless you're Irish. At 3.5 billion years ago, Earth continued to be a comically brutal place. Everything was basically a volcano, and the atmosphere was rich in methane, so it smelled terrible, too. Not that you would notice the smell. You would suffocate in a particularly horrible way in, like, about a minute. Regardless, life seems to have started pretty soon after the magnetic field of the Earth. As an homage to all this talk about the atmosphere, it started raining, which is, again, one of those things that's very cool about this whole planet that we're on. Anyway, there are, of course, many theories on what planted the seed for life on Earth. But to keep it simple, I'll stick to two of the basic ideas. The first is that it just happened as an accident of the universe, that the perfect bolt of lightning hit the perfect puddle of primordial ooze, which decided to get it together and become a protein, then a bacterium. Next is my personally preferred theory, that a fungus clinging to an asteroid managed to survive the impact and brought life to Earth. While we're theorizing, it could have been some ancient space traveler emptying their septic tank in our atmosphere, for all we know. For full disclosure, if I had an interstellar space vessel, I would go around dropping extremophile bacteria and funguses on suitable random lifeless planets because I think life itself is awesome, and it might as well be everywhere it can be. In an infinite universe, I can't be the only sentient creature who's ever had that idea, and that creature might have had a spaceship and time on their hands, or tentacles. No matter how it happened, somehow, at some point, life came to Earth and spread all over the place, and considering that it was all microbiotics in the beginning, it probably made Earth smell even worse. Some microcritters enjoyed photosynthesis, and they became plants, and some, possibly the first, chose the strange life of being a fungus. Later, some went the route of moving around eating the other two groups and each other, and became animals. I, in modern science, are positive that it was far more complicated than that, but that's the basic idea. Many of these early life forms began to sexually reproduce, which has caused the pain and joy that many later life forms find quite meaningful. Part 3 This lovely planet stabilized, stopped being a gigantic volcano, was likely mostly covered in ice for about 460 million years, and there's not much more to mention until about 540 million years ago. That's about 3 billion years of rocks and bacteria that are really not that interesting, to be honest with you. To keep the timeline straight, the next real event happened around 40 million years before Earth's 4 billionth birthday. And that's quite a while ago, but eh, there was a lot of time that, like, fucking nothing happened, to be honest with you. So, 535 million years ago, everything got way more interesting to people who aren't obsessed with geology and bacteria. In what is called the Cambrian Explosion... Life went crazy and started to form in all sorts of wild, multicellular ways. This particular period is called Fortunian, which very roughly translates to lucky from Latin. You could pull the word strong, fortus, out of it as well, but I'm not going to split hairs. It may have been that the ice-covered snowball period of Earth ended and led to life flourishing, or it may have been that life flourished and caused the ice to melt. It took a while to catch on but being a multicellular organism became all the rage. Explaining the creatures of the planet through this time onward in detail would be pretty ridiculous in many ways, so I will keep the descriptions kind of broad, mention any notables, and bring up any firsts of the modern creatures that still exist today. In the Cambrian, all sorts of lobster-style creatures burst onto the scene, including our dear horseshoe crab, who apparently felt no need to evolve since around then. Other creatures started to arise that ran their nervous systems down the middle of their back, 
and some of them eventually developed spines. I'm biased towards having a spine, but the jury is still out on whether it's a winning strategy, as insects do some pretty impressive things without them. At this time, the first fish evolved, which is our first ancestor. We are basically still fish. Many creatures from the time of 500 million years ago haven't changed much, but some felt a strange longing to pay taxes and argue online one day in the distant future, so they started the difficult process of crawling onto land. Bacteria had been softening up the land for quite a while, and the air was becoming quite rich in oxygen for the last two and a half billion years, thanks to all that photosynthesis that had been happening. Atmospheric oxygen allowed for all that cell respiration magic that animals had already figured out underwater, because water is, you know, partially oxygen. Fungi did it too, and continues to, but fungi and their effect on the world is always a rabbit hole that this podcast will avoid exploring too deeply. Because it's a deep hole. Please look to the brilliant mycologist Paul Stamets for information on the underappreciated world of fungi. They really do all the heavy lifting around here. For life and everything else, oxidizing is in chemistry terms the same thing as being slowly set on fire. So life had to take a while figuring out how to overcome that hurdle. That's why... Antioxidants, by the way, are good for you. In theory. That's why metals rust, and why basically everything is best stored in a moisture-free vacuum. To oversimplify it, oxygen in its loving relationship with hydrogen, which we know is the magical molecule, water, is somewhat easier for biology to deal with than the free love oxygen in our air. Life overcame oxidation, though. First the shelled arthropods, and tens of millions of years later, amphibians. Between two and a half and three and a half hundred million years ago, life's many developing forms took over land. In what I can only assume was a tragic event of some kind, something absolutely horrible happened to life on Earth 250 million years ago. It was the biggest mass extinction event as far as we know, and the majority of living things on Earth went extinct. The current theory is that something, most likely a lot of volcanoes, released a whole lot of horrible stuff into the atmosphere. This acidified the oceans, and the whole event probably upset the delicate balance of life on Earth, which does tend to kill a lot of things. I will personally take a moment to mention that an asteroid of some kind might have been involved, as those can also cause quite a lot of volcanic activity and really just fuck shit up. One way or another, life had a real hard time getting back on its feet, etc. Part 4 This all thickened the atmosphere, warming the planet significantly. In fact, it was so warm and dry that there weren't any polar ice caps, which is actually more typical than not in the history of Earth while it's had multicellular life on it. During this time, all land was one continent, and it started to break apart over the 50 million years that make up the Triassic period, between 250 and 200 million years ago. The creatures who had survived the horrors of the mass extinction event made the best of the situation, and many of them became reptiles. This was an excellent form of life to be at the time as the planet was warm and dry with lots of rocks to bask in the sun on. Conifers, which is anything that could be loosely defined as a Christmas tree, became dominant in the temperate polar climate of Earth, and ferns were dominant everywhere, which has never really changed. Mind you, grass did not exist yet, which I'll get into later. It takes a while for grass to be a thing, which is pretty wild. I never would have thought. Anyway. Of course, some of the most famous creatures from Earth's history started their climb to dominance in the Triassic dinosaurs. While they might not exactly be the famous species that immediately come to mind, all the classic dinosaur body shapes were present and in abundance. They were the silly-looking long necks, creatures that are remarkably similar to crocodiles, 
and dinosaurs that walked on their hind legs with arms that ranged from goofy and little to large and apparently practical. A reptile that is about the size and shape of a pig, but more lizardy, was supposedly the most common creature on land at the beginning of the Triassic, and slowly died out through its duration. Fairly modern-looking fish and sharks populated the coastlines of the gigantic ocean, along with a lot of thoroughly terrifying underwater dinosaurs. There was also a group of small creatures that lived mostly nocturnally eating insects, and may have started to develop warm blood and fur to keep it that way. The descendants of these creatures will one day build the pyramids and create social media, for reasons that are still unclear. For the rest of this series of episodes, I would like to remind that most creatures do not get fossilized. Fossils get created by an idiot dying in the swamp, which then remains in just the right conditions for the time between the idiot falling in the swamp and somebody who's hopefully a lot smarter digging it up. Remember that we only have less than 1% of the creatures that existed before us in the fossil record. Creatures with shells are fantastic at getting fossilized, which is why it's pretty easy to buy fossils of things that look like snails. To privately own a dinosaur skeleton, however, one must have gotten bored of buying private jets and tigers, and wanted to really prove that they will spend any amount of money as long as it doesn't help society. Anyway, 200 million years ago, something horrible happened, again involving a lot of volcanoes and possibly a space rock, and a large portion of the things living at the time died out. The creatures in the ocean seem to have been the worst affected, with somewhere between a quarter to a third of water-dwelling species dying out. On the bright side, plants and insects seem to have made it out of this event fairly unscathed. Though reptilians also took a beating during this time, the next 134 million years would really be their time to shine. Thus began the Jurassic period, 200 million years ago. The single landmass was now really breaking into two parts. One contained the modern Americas, Antarctica, and curiously, Australia, Africa, and India. The other consisted of Europe and most of Asia. Between the two chunks of land was what we now call Greenland, though it was likely pretty green at the time because the planet was still very warm and had no ice caps. It would appear that quite a lot of the oil and coal that humans have such strong opinions on started its journey towards being burned by humans during this period. So, cars are largely made of and run on ferns, in a way. Dinosaurs were really living it up during this time. That's probably pretty obvious because Jurassic is pretty much the only name of an era that is known by most people. One can spend hours reading the differences between the various groups of reptiles existing at this time. Simply put, not all of them were dinosaurs, but they all had names that were practically impossible to pronounce. After quite a lot of reading on the subject, I'm pretty sure that snakes separated from lizards early in this era, and some amphibians gained the ability to hop, becoming almost exactly like a modern frog. That's wonderful. Warm-blooded furry creatures diversified quite a bit during this time, with creatures resembling otters, platypi, squirrels, and anteaters. While there was likely way more variety than we will ever know, it would appear that small and cute was pretty much the only form proto-mammals could take at this time, as being large or intimidating was exclusively a reptile game. Also, if I understand this correctly, not many of them were stupid enough to fall into swamps and get fossilized, so I'll assume that that means that even early warm-blooded creatures were generally smarter than reptiles. I invite you to join me in taking pride in that. Given that the proto-mammals of the time were estimated to have been very stupid compared to the average modern rodent, the other possibility is that they rarely had a chance to get fossilized in a swamp because they were busy being chewed to a paste by some gigantic bloodthirsty lizard. I suppose I have to mention that fish were still basically fish during the Jurassic, and that's never changed, though they were surrounded by ever more terrifying underwater reptiles, some of which were absurdly gigantic. 
The oceans were about the temperature of a cheap guy's hot tub at the surface at this time, an estimated average of 99 degrees Fahrenheit. Other honorable mentions go to the first parasitic wasps and true spiders during this period that continue to charm the world to this day. Time marched on, the Jurassic period ended, and the Cretaceous period began, this time with a relatively small mass extinction. Hurrah! The continents had begun to properly drift away from each other in a way that we would kind of recognize. Africa, with India and Madagascar lumped together at its side, and the Arabian Peninsula, where one would expect it, were slowly drifting across the Atlantic Ocean at this time. Late in this period, around 80 million years ago, is the early estimate of when the Indian subcontinent broke off and started moving very quickly towards Asia, for a continent. Antarctica and Australia were attached, with Australia starting to break off towards the north around the same time India was. The exact timing of the movement of the continents is kind of hard to nail down, and there's some disputes about it. As a matter of fact, honestly, how do we have any concept of how any of that worked? The Americas were pretty much where you'd expect them to be, but they were not connected to each other at the time, and North America was in two parts, divided across the middle by sea, where the modern Great Plains are. There are some great short videos of the continents moving around on YouTube, as far as we know, if you'd like a more effective visual explanation of it all. Life continued to evolve, go extinct, and so on through this period, with dinosaurs being more dominant than ever. Most of the really famous dinosaurs existed during this time, possibly because they are the most recent and probably the best preserved. That movie really should have been called Cretaceous Park. It doesn't really roll off the tongue, though. I'd love to tell you the great stories of dinosaur society, but there is sadly little to know about the subject. If, say, they had advanced to post-industrial society, and the mighty T-Rex had evolved its famously silly little arms to more effectively carry handbags and play video games about hunting herbivores, there would really be no way to know. The point is, we really have almost no idea what was going on in that time before 66 million years ago, aside from the fact that there appear to have been a lot of very large lizards and birds everywhere. Oh, and ferns. There are always and forever a lot of ferns. For all we know, dinosaurs could talk and loved smoking cigars perhaps rolled from ferns, but it's most likely that they lived typical animal lives, never having a need to hire an accountant. Whatever dinosaurs were actually up to, it came to an extremely abrupt end 66 million years ago in what was almost positively a horrifying asteroid impact. In the geological layer of that time, there is a thin layer of sediment that contains a very high level of iridium, a metal that isn't very abundant on Earth. The iridium that does exist naturally on Earth doesn't tend to spread itself all over the planet like a dusty blanket. That would actually be very out of character for iridium, but I digress. The asteroid was probably six to nine miles wide, was likely very hard and dense, and was surely going extremely fast when it hit what is now the Yucatan Peninsula. Apocalyptic doesn't even start to describe the aftermath. When something hits Earth that hard, and let's remember this is going like, I don't know, 30 times the speed of a bullet. It destabilizes the crust, causing earthquakes and volcanoes wherever they were likely to happen. The Deccan Traps in India are a volcanic site that seemed to have gone off at or around that time. The sun was blotted out from the sky for a year or more, killing off most of the photosynthetic life forms on Earth, which in turn starved out the herbivores which ate them, which in turn starved out the predators that ate them. This blocking of the sun also made the world quite cold for a couple years. It would appear that the life forms that survived were the toughest and most adaptable, omnivores and scavengers, creatures that could either survive eating those that were dead or were well adapted to starvation or cold. After this event, 
Roughly three-quarters of the species on Earth were extinct, including most of the dinosaurs, and almost any animal larger than 50 pounds or so. Pour one out for the dinosaurs. They are missed, in spite of the fact that it's actually pretty great that we don't have to live with them. We do still kind of live with them, though, because their genetic line continues to exist in birds. When you eat a chicken, it's payback. The world of 65 million years ago is devastated, but life always finds a way. That is the moral of the story. The great things can and do come from nothing. Life is an unstoppable force, and though nature is often messy, it's good, in my opinion. Life can survive this strange and often hostile universe, even when it seems that everything is lost, and it will still find a way to thrive in spite of the difficulties that it faces. We should all remember the billions of creatures that have come before us that endured millions of years of horrors beyond our comprehension, and always kept staying alive. Never forget our brave and persistent ancestors, who struggled so that we may one day live. In episode two of this series, we will continue the timeline of Earth after the apocalyptic meteor impact that ended the dinosaurs' rule of the planet. The wind from one door closing opens new doors, and from the literal ashes of the previous world, a new type of life rose. The next episode is World Reborn, The Rise of the Mammals. 